Welcome to the Scarlet Tavern. Grab a drink, take a seat, and let's begin. On tonight's episode, we will continue our discussion of the People's Temple, Jim Jones, and the Jonestown Massacre. Are you still ready to drink the Kool-Aid? This is a Scarlet Tavern. All right, back for part two. Um, so last we left off. I'm so used to doing that. Last we <clears> left <throat> off. Um, but last we did leave off. Uh, we were discussing him getting a little more aggressive. Uh, he begins to get into narcotics uh opiates mostly um and we're starting to see the decline of his mind and the beginning of jonestown so i just want to jump right in it at the end we are going to play a clip of the famed uh uh death tape so uh we will play that at the end as our ending statements um, so jumping right into it, Jones established a planning commission made up of his lieutenants to direct the people's temples, communal, communal lifestyle. Uh, Jones through the planning commission began controlling all aspects of the lives of his followers. Members who joined people's temple turned over all their assets to the church in exchange for a free room and board. This is what I was talking about where he gets all his money. Um, this is what Kashi does. Uh, they they take all of your assets. They you work a normal job. They take, I think it's like ninety percent of your paycheck. Um, they allow you enough. They own your car. They own everything. Um, then you have to sign everything over to them. They let you live there for free. They provide you with groceries and stuff like that. You have basically enough money to maybe go see a movie every once in a while. Um, so members who worked outside of the temple turned over their income to be used for the benefit of the community. Jones directed groups of his followers to work on various projects for additional income and set up an agricultural operation in Redwood Valley to grow food. Large community outreach projects were organized and temple members were bused to perform work and community service across the region. The first known cases of serious abuse in the People's Temple arose in California as a planning commission carried out discipline against members who were not fulfilling Jones's vision or following the rules. His control over the members of People's Temple extended to their sex lives and who could be married. Um, some members were coerced to get abortions. He then began to require sexual favors from the wives of some members of the church and rape several male members of his congregation. But he's a good Christian boy, so. Didn't know about that. Um, members who rebelled against Jones, uh, against Jones's control were punished with reduced food rations, harsher work schedules, public ridicule and humiliations, and sometimes with physical violence. As the temple's membership grew, Jones created an armed security group to ensure order among his followers and to guarantee his own personal safety. We will get into them 
um, they were known as the White Knights. Uh, and we'll also, get fun fact, that is the name of a branch of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, that's where he got it from. Um, remember, his dad was a high-ranking member of the KKK. But apparently the KKK was also trying to kill his church at some point. Yeah. Uh, amongst other people. Uh, by the end of 1969, People's Temple was growing rapidly. Jones's message of economic socialism and racial equality, along with integrated nature of People's Temple, proved attractive, especially to students and racial minorities. By 1970, the temple opened branches in several cities, including San Fernando, San Francisco, and Los Angeles, as Jones began shifting his focus to major cities across California because of limited expansion opportunities in Ukiah. He eventually moved the temple's headquarters to San Francisco, which was a major center for radical protest movements. By 1973, People's Temple reached 2,570 members, with 36,000 subscribers to its fundraising newsletter. That is insane. Can and, I get and it, some of those subscribers, please? Uh, um, oh, wait, they're dead. Uh... Jones grew the temple by purposefully targeting other churches. In 1970, Jones and 150 of his followers took a trip to San Francisco's Missionary Baptist Church. Of course, he attacks the Baptists first. Um, I mean, he asked them to hold up their hands and they went this far. That was it. Um, the, the people that watch us that have grown up in Christian churches will get that. Baptists are as close to Methodist as you can get. Um, very strict. My mother grew very up Baptist. Um, so did my grandmother. Yeah. We we always had a joke that uh, they are so strict that they when they when they pray and praise, they only lift their hands. They don't lift their arms above their shoulders. Um, because all the way up here is is safe for the uh, Pentecostals um, <laughs> Jones held a faith healing revival meeting wherein he impressed the crowd by claiming to heal a man of cancer. Did he have the medical documents to back that up? Because I'd be very interested to see how he did that one. His followers later admitted to helping him stage the healing. Wow. Really? Surprise. At the end of the event, he began attacking and condemning Baptist teachings, encouraging the members to abandon their church and join him. How did that pastor not murder him? He should have uh, saved everybody. Um, the event was successful, and Jones recruited about 200 new members for People's Temple. In a less successful attempt in 1971, Jones and a large number of his followers visited the tomb and shrine erected for Father Divine shortly after his death. Jones confronted Divine's wife and claimed to be the reincarnation of Father Divine. At a banquet that evening, Jones's followers seized control of the event and Jones addressed Divine's followers, again claiming that he was Father Divine's successor. Divine's wife rose up and accused Jones of being the devil in disguise and demanded he leave. Jones managed to recruit only 12 followers through the event. Uh, she saw right through him. Oh, yeah. I mean, she knew her husband was a fake, so. Yeah, guess it takes one to know one, right? Exactly. Jones became active in San Francisco politics and was able to gain contacts with prominent local and state politicians. 
Thanks to their growing numbers, Jones and People's Temple played an uh, instrumental role in George Mascone's election as mayor in 1975. Did you know that? No. It would have also been interesting around the same time. I don't know if he had any interact. Oh, yeah, he did. Yes, you're right. He did. Uh, Harvey Milk. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Moscone subsequently appointed Jones as the chairman of the San Francisco Housing Authority Commission, um, which at that time, that was a, that's a big chair to sit in, especially for somebody who doesn't have, uh, he has a little bit of political uh, background, but not much. Um, Jones hosted little, local political figures at his San Francisco apartment for discussions. In September 1976, uh, Assemblyman Willie Brown served as master of ceremonies at a large testimonial dinner for Jones attended by Governor Jerry Brown and Lieutenant Governor Mervyn DeMolly. At that dinner, Willie Brown touted Jones as what you should see every day when you look in the mirror and said he was a combination of Martin Luther King Jr., Angela Davis, Albert Einstein, and Mao. Harvey Milk spoke to audiences during political rallies held at the temple, and he wrote to Jones after one such visit. visit. Reverend Jim, it may take me many a day to come back down from that high that I reached today. I found something dear today. I found a sense of being that makes up for all the hours and energy placed in a fight. I found what you wanted me to find. I shall be back, for I can never leave. It's an interesting thing to come from uh, Harvey Milk. If anybody out there doesn't know, Harvey Milk was one of the first was I believe he was the first openly homosexual um, politician in America. Uh, Very interesting that he would be linked to that. Don't I remember seeing the film with Sean Penn and don't remember the mention of that particular episode. This is how good Jim Jones was. Yeah. Getting politicians on board. Harvey Milk was no no stranger to controversy himself. I'd actually like to touch on him at some point in the future. Um, did a lot of good, very good, although he did have some, like I said, some questionable decisions he made, but overall a great pioneer for his uh, for his cause in LGBTQ. Yeah, um, he he paved the way for what LGBTQ is now. Very true. Very true. Um, through his connections with California politicians, Jones was able to establish <laughs> contacts with. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I already read that part. Nope. Oh no. 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 You. You're nope. good. Keep sorry. Going. Wrong part. Jones was able to establish contacts with key national political figures. Jones and Moscone met privately with Vice Presidential Candidate Walter Mondale on his campaign <gasps> plane days before the 1976 election, leading Mondale to publicly praise the temple. You know, he, you know, he backpedaled that one after everything came out. Um, First Lady Rosalind Carter met with Jones on multiple occasions. Not surprising. Uh, uh, fun fact, everybody. That is also that is the uh, second uh, mass murderer that yeah. former First Lady Rosalind the Carter Carters met. She just, also she also she also. Yeah, she also there's a picture you can find of her and John Wayne Gacy. So which, another person when we con- when we do John Wayne Gacy, we will post that picture. Yes. Um, yes. First Lady Rosalind Carter met with him on multiple occasions, corresponded with him about Cuba, and spoke with him at the grand opening of the San Francisco headquarters, where he received louder applause than she did. <laughs> 
Jones forged alliances with key columnists and others at the San Francisco Chronicle and other press outlets that gave Jones favorable press during their early years in California. However, Jones began to receive negative press beginning in October 1971 when reporters covered one of Jones's divine healing services during a visit to his old church in Indianapolis. The news report uh, led to an investigation by the Indiana State Psychology Board into Jones's healing practices in 1972. A doctor involved in the investigation accused Jones of quackery. Apparently, that is the scientific term. Uh, mm-hmm. Accused him of quackery and challenged Jones to give tissue samples of the material he claimed fell off people when they were healed of cancer. The investigation caused alarm within the temple, of course. Yeah, probably because uh, they probably all thought, uh-oh, jigs up. Yeah. Jones had been performing faith healing miracles since his joint campaigns with William Branham. On several occasions, his healings were revealed as nothing but a hoax. In one incident, Jones drugged Temple member Irene Mason, and while she was unconscious, a cast was put on her arm. When she regained consciousness, she was told she had fallen and broken her arm and was taken to the hospital. In a subsequent healing service, Jones removed her cast off the front off the front of or removed her cast in front of the congregation and told them she was healed. In other instances, Jones wow. had someone in his inner circle enter the prayer line for healing of cancer after being healed. The person would pretend to cough up their tumor, which was actually a chicken gizzard. I mean, it just seems like he's going way over the top. I mean, he could have easily, I mean, he, I mean, obviously he bamboozles his one follower with the cast, but that seems like a pretty easy thing. Like, honestly, if I'm a first person there, like, obviously I know the hoax now, but let's say I'm just, I'm open to faith healing, which, I mean, again, the Bible tells me that this, this did occur, but at the same time, I know that this is, there's many frauds there. But to say I'm open to it, and I see that, I'd be like, oh, my God, I, that's a miracle. That woman came in with a cast, and now she doesn't ha- – now she's fine. I could, that, that's in the realm of believability, but I coughed up my tumor. And then I was like, I'm cured of cancer. It's like uh, – that's not even – yeah, it's like yeah, I, I oh God, I'll I I would pay which money for Arnold this, Schwarzenegger to show up and pick up and be like, it's not a tumor. Which this means that these people held chicken gizzards in their mouth. That's raw nasty. raw chicken gizzards in their mouth. Like I've That's eaten gizzard. Nasty. I like cooked gizzard. I never had it. I don't think I really want it. I'll I'll make it for you. It's good. It's a good I, southern I, staple. I, 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 it's a good southern staple. It, you I, I, listen. It's deep fried. Everything's better deep fried. I don't agree with this. It's so good. Um, I, don't, I feel like I'm being taken for a ride. I'll even put it on pizza. That's just no. <laughs> you do uh, enough defiling the pizza. Don't don't add to your sins. Um, Jones also pretended to have special revelations about individuals, which revealed supposed hidden details of their lives. Jones had co-workers who called the potential recruits homes and asked detailed questions in cover of doing an unrelated examination. This provided Jones with inside information that would make him seem clairvoyant and being in possession of superhuman powers. Everything we said there was part of the investigation. 
that was that was uh Anne Fetson who did the investigation into Jones. That was her whole statement. Jones was fearful that his methods would be exposed by the investigation. In response, Jones announced he was terminating his ministry in Indiana because it was too far from California for him to attend and downplayed his healing claims to the authorities. The issue only escalated, however, and Lester Consolving ran a series of articles targeting Jones and the People's Temple in the San Francisco Examiner in September 1972. Stories reported on Jones' claims of divinity and exposed uh, purported miracles as a hoax. In 1973, Ross Case, a former follower of Jones, began working with a group in Ukiah to investigate People's Temple. They uncovered a staged healing, the abusive treatment of a woman in the church, and evidence that Jones raped a male member of his congregation. Reports of Case's activity reached Jones, who became increasingly paranoid that the authorities were after him. Case reported his findings to the local police, but they took no action. You have to remember, though, that Jones is very politically connected at this point, which means they would need definitive proof to go after him to not lose their jobs. Most of these local police would have probably just kicked it up to the state level or federal level and told them to deal with it. Yeah. Shortly after... Eight members of People's Temple made accusations of abuse against the Planning Commission and People's Temple staff members. They accused members of the Planning Commission of being homosexuals and questioned their true commitment to socialism before leaving the People's Temple. Jones became convinced he was losing control and needed to relocate People's Temple to escape the mounting threats and allegations. On December 13th, this is great. 1973, Jones was arrested and charged for lewd conduct of allegedly masturbating in the presence of a male undercover LAPD vice officer in a movie theater restroom near Los Angeles' MacArthur Park. Yeah. Okay, then. So it's not just Pee Wee Herman getting caught doing this stuff, yes. huh? On December 20th, 1973, the charge against Jones was dismissed Though the details of the dismissal are not clear. The Probably called a few favors. He did. The court could because the court file was sealed and the judge ordered the records of the arrest to be destroyed. He called yeah. in political favors. Oh yeah. So plus I'm sure some of his politician buddies probably have had the same problems. I was about to say, I wouldn't be surprised if that con- if that phone call consisted of Remember, you were there last Tuesday with yeah. me. Well, so so the theater that he did this in, supposedly, from what I remember of reading this original show, showed adult movies. And but masturbation was not allowed because of indecent exposure. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but from what I remember, this that's what it was known for. So, um. In the fall of 73, Jones and the Planning Commission devised a plan to escape from the U.S. in the event of government raid, and they began to develop a longer-term plan to relocate People's Temple. They decided on Guyana as a favorable location, citing its recent revolution, socialist government, and the favorable reaction Jones received when he traveled there in 63. In October, the group voted unanimously to set up an agricultural commune in Guyana, 
In December, Jones and I. James traveled to Guyana to find a suitable location. In a newspaper interview, Jones indicated that he would rather settle his commune in a communist country like China or the Soviet Union and was saddened about his inability to do so. Jones described Lenin and Stalin as his heroes and saw the Soviet Union as an ideal society. All right. By the summer of 1974, land and supplies were purchased in Guyana. I. James was put in charge of the project and oversaw the installation of power generation station, clearance of fields for farming, and the construction of dormitories to prepare for the first settlers. In December of 74, the first group arrived in Guyana to start operating the commune that would become known as Jamestown. You mean Jonestown? Jonestown, sorry. Um, Jones left. I was I was looking at I James name. Um, mm. Jones left I James to oversee Jonestown while he returned to the U.S. to continue his efforts to combat the negative press. He was largely unsuccessful, and more stories of abuse in People's Temple were leaked to the public. In March 1977, Marshall Kilduff published a story in New West magazine exposing abuses at the People's Temple. This article included allegations by Temple defectors of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. The article convinced Jones that it was time to permanently relocate to South America, and he began to compel members of People's Temple to make the move with him. He promoted the commune as a means to create both a socialist paradise and a sanctuary from the media scrutiny in San Francisco. He purported to establish it as a model communist community, adding the temple compromise of the purest communists there are. Once they arrived in Jonestown, Jones prevented members from leaving the settlement. Entertaining movies from Georgetown that the settlers had watched were mostly canceled in favor of Soviet propaganda, shorts, and documentaries on American social problems, lessons on Soviet affiliations, Jones's crisis and the alleged mercenaries dispatched by Tim Stowen, who had defected from the temple and turned against the group, were the topic of adult midnight lectures and classroom discussions of Jones's discourses about revolution and adversaries. One thing I want to say is one of the greatest things is he had a monkey. He had a monkey? Yeah, so in Jonestown, there was a large cage with, he had a large monkey, I believe it was a chimpanzee, um, named Mr. Muggs. That's an awesome name for a chimpanzee. It was Mr. Muggs, and Mr. Muggs was like, he, he played a big role there. Um, Mr. Muggs was pretty cool. Unfortunately, Mr. Marks doesn't survive. Uh, oh, that sucks. Jim Jones shoots him in the head. Well, considering Jim Jones's track <laughs> record so far with animals, that actually but, doesn't surprise me. But he, he survives all the way up until the end. It's at the very end with the Kool-Aid that he shoots Mr. Muggs in the head and kills him. But Mr. Muggs is pretty cool. I don't remember if this article that I have quoted talks about Mr. Muggs, so I wanted to throw him in there. Uh, we'll we'll share a picture of Mr. Muggs, because um, he was pretty cool. He was he was a uh, uh, chimpanzee, wore like glasses and clothes and all of that, and the children loved him. 
So like Harambe's grandpa? I mean, he was smaller. I'm just saying. I mean, first Mr. Muggs, then Harambe. It's a conspiracy against the apes. Let me see if I can find. I know this isn't the. I'm just really. I, I mean, it it really has. It really calls to just like, to me, like the danger of. Of of really blindly following someone like this. I mean, this person is all this press is in there, and he's he's still able. You, we can post a picture of that later. I'm a sure, picture of I'm that. Sure you. Oh, you uh, can yeah. Send me just send me the we'll, link we'll, of that. Uh, we'll post a picture of Mister Muggs, but um. So. Jonestown had about 50 settlers at the start of 1977 who were expanding the commune, but it was not ready to handle a large influx of settlers. Uh, bureaucratic requirements after Jones's arrival sapped labor resources for other needs. Buildings fell into disrepair and weeds encroached on fields. I. James warned Jones that the facilities could only support 200 people, but Jones believed the need to relocate was urgent and determined to move immediately. In May of 77, Jones and about 600 of his followers arrived in Jonestown. About 400 more followed in subsequent months. Jones began moving the temple's financial assets overseas and started to sell off property in the U.S. The temple, People's Temple held over $10 million in assets, which in 2020, when this article was written, is $42.7 million in assets. So what happens when you have thousands of Total. people and you own all of their stuff? And yeah. they're just like Scientology, there were some wealthier people. Plus, um, you also probably had quite a number of donations coming from oh, yeah. all over the country, not just his core group of people who were living in the commune. Oh, yeah. I he mean, had politicians that were sending him money. Um despite the negative press prior to his departure. Jones was still respected outside of People's Temple for setting up a racially integrated church, which helped the disadvantaged. 68% of Jonestown residents were black. 68%. For the first several months, Temple members worked six days a week from approximately 6.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. with an hour for lunch. The work week was shortened to eight hours a day for five days a week in the middle of 78 after Jones's health started to fail and his wife started taking on more of the management of Jonestown's activities. After the day's work ended, Temple members would attend several hours of activities in a pavilion, including classes on socialism. Uh, Jones compared the schedule to the North Korean system of eight hours of daily work followed by eight hours of study. Let's follow North Korea. That's yeah, a, that worked. That's worked out so well yeah. for them. This also comported with the temple's practice of gradually subjecting its followers to sophisticated mind control and behavioral modification techniques borrowed from Kim uh, Kim Il Sung's Korea and Mao Zedong's China, also MK Ultra, but mm -hmm. uh, we can't mention that in the United States um, because MK Ultra didn't exist. United States would about? United States would never try to mind control their own people. No. I need 
No, Mr. FBI agent. I don't believe that. Who's listening through my Alexa? Please let me keep my security clearance. Um, I Please, I actually I'm, need that. Yeah, I, I promise I'm not spilling secrets. God, this 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 podcast is gonna make this podcast is gonna make us lose our security clearances. Oh God! I uh, just got the damn thing. I've had mine, so I've had uh, mine for yeah. a while. Freaking high achiever! I'm gonna maintain my security clearance even after I got out. I had a, I had a lot that I needed. I freaking secret security clearance. I'll take it. Um, mm. Jones would often read news and commentary, including items from Radio Moscow and Radio Havana, and was known to side with Soviets over the Chinese during the Sino-Soviet split. Um, Jones's news readings usually portrayed the U.S. as a capitalist and imperialist villain, while casting socialist leaders such as Kim Il-sung, uh, Robert Mugabe, and Joseph Stalin. It, it's actually pronounced Mugambe. I I know about him from some of my history lessons. He, Robert Mugambe he's, was uh he's not worth saying his name, right? Yeah, he really isn't. He's a piece of shit. He really uh, is. Painting them in a in a positive light. Recordings of commune meetings show how livid and frustrated Jones would get when anyone did not understand or find interesting the message Jones was placing upon them. <sighs> I will tell everybody there are again go watch there are a number of of tapes out there uh, a lot of his stuff there's one where he had it's we'll talk about it i believe it's in here uh he had a punishment box he would actually lock yes. people inside of a box um it just... and there's a tape about it um he would beat the children it, it was just it was horrible he would, make was, the, I, he would make the children beat other children. Um, I mean, at, what, at a certain point, you've really got to start to wonder how many lessons can you teach about socialism? I mean, he's yeah. he's doing this five days a week, eight hours, like eight, several hours a eight night. Hours. Talk, eight, eight hours, hours of work, eight hours of, of classes. I mean, I would figure they would have he would have ran out of things to teach in about a week. Well, well, what happens is he starts spewing his own stuff. Yeah, it just. But you got to think that they're also trying to brainwash, so they're doing stuff on repeat. Yeah, it's literally imagine death by PowerPoint for like two years. Oh God, kill me, please! I've already every single day, five days a week, eight hours a day of death by PowerPoint. I'm sure there's some staff officer at the Pentagon who's salivating at the idea, but yeah, don't listen I, to I, us. I, don't listen to us. They're listening I'm right the, now. I know they're listening right now going, Oh yes. Ne <laughs> next time they come in for drill, we're going to fucking get them. Ugh, that would be my luck. That would be um, so among the followers Jones took to Guyana was Vic John Victor Stowen. John's birth certificate listed Timothy Stowen and Grace Stowen as his parents. Jones has a sex had a sexual relationship with Grace Stowen and claimed he was the biological father of John. Grace Stowen left People's Temple in 76, leaving her child behind. Jones ordered the child to be taken to Guyana February 1977 to avoid a custody dispute with Grace. 
After Timothy Stowen also left People's Temple in June 1977, Jones kept the child at his own home in Jonestown. In January of 77, Jones traveled to Cuba with Carlton, uh, God, uh, Carlton Goodlett in order to establish an import-export trade relation with Cuba for a San Francisco Bay Area company that he had founded. So in the 70s, he is establishing a trade route with Cuba. Which I would also like to point out to people that only up until the Obama administration, the United States had a blockade (laughs) of Cuba. So this is technically, technically treason. Very much so. Um, While visiting Goodlett's business contacts and touring schools and other facilities, Jones was annoyed that President Fidel Castro had not consented to see him and remarked that Castro had been living better than the people he was. Uh, so. While in, if only Jones would have killed Fidel Castro, uh, uh, or, it, or it they would have been, killed each would, other. That would have been it even better. Been, I mean, he might have had more success than the CIA did. I mean, good God, even Castro said that if dodging, this is the word from Castro. He said, if dodging assassination attempts was an Olympic event, I'd be a gold medalist. He was good. Um, while in Cuba, Jones visited the residence of Huey Newton in Havana for an hour, and they talked about Newton's family members who had attended the People's Church. Surprise, surprise. Huey Newton's family attended the People's Church, People's Temple. Uh, for those of you who do not know who <laughs> Huey Newton is, Huey Newton was a, I believe he was the found one of or the founding member of the Black Panthers, yes. a, the, the radical African-American. And what's, um, what's funny is it's because of the People's Temple supposedly the the what they saw in the people's temple ha- made them want to found the black panthers which of course if uh, you guys all know that is the rival to the kkk um they, they are literally the more, polar opposites of the kkk very much so um they'll never admit it but they, their their a- actions speak louder than yeah. words um they also discussed his desire to return to the U.S. Jones commented that Newton only missed his luxurious apartment and his favorite bars in Oakland, uh, which, of course, Oakland is where the Black Panthers were founded. Um, in the autumn of 77, Timothy Stowen and other Temple defectors formed a concerned relatives group based uh, because they had family members in Jonestown who were not being permitted to return to the U.S., Stowen traveled to Washington, D.C. in January of 78 to visit with State Department officials, State Department officials, and members of Congress. We're, we're going to put State Department there in parentheses, in quotations, um, and wrote a white paper detailing his grievances against Jones and the Temple and to attempt to recover his son. His efforts aroused the curiosity of California Congressman Leo Ryan who wrote a letter on Stowen's behalf to Guyanese Prime Minister Forbes Burnham. Uh, The concerned relatives began a legal battle with the temple over custody of Stowen's son. Most of Jones's political allies broke ties after his departure, though some did not. Willie Brown spoke out against the temple's uh, purported enemies at a rally that was attended by Harvey Milk and Assemblyman Art Agnes. 
Mayor Moscone's office issued a press release saying Jones had broken no laws. It will never cease to amaze me how much politicians will stick oh, yeah. to somebody, even when the controversy is swirling around them like a tornado. It it, it really it really flabbergasts me because again, maybe maybe because of everything that happened that we're we're now used to politicians. The moment even something looks funny, they 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 run for the hills. I but God. <laughs> no, 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 I'm sorry. On April 11th, 1978, the concerned relatives distributed a packet of documents, letters, and affidavits to the People's Temple, members of the press, and members of Congress, which they titled An Accusation of Human Right Violations by Reverend James Warren Jones. In June of 78, Deborah Layton, a People's Temple member who escaped Jonestown six months before the massacre, provided the group with further affidavit detailing crimes by the temple and substandard living conditions in Jonestown. Um, according to Layton, one of the ways that members of the cult were controlled was by being sent to the extended care unit. Okay, so get this. Brave people who spoke out against the atrocities in Jonestown were taken to the medical unit and put on coma-inducing drugs. These drugs included thorazine, sodium pentothal, uh, chlorohydrate, Demerol, and Valium. Wow, that'll knock out like a herd of elephants. So what you're doing with these is you are doing uppers and downers both at the same time. With both of these, this is a mix. This is a mix of uppers and downers, and it is going to knock you out. Now, some of these people were used by Jones as sex slaves. Others had a python wrapped around their neck. Oh God, Pam. Pam would hate that. <laughs> That's what I thought too. I like, oh, my. Children who cried about wanting to go back to the states were lowered into a dark well at night. One man was forced into the box that we were talking about earlier underground where he stayed for days and weeks. The box was a punishment device uh, devised by Jones involving a six by four by three foot plywood coffin. Okay, so this is six by four by three. So we figure six foot long four foot high, three foot wide. That's about a coffin. That's a coffin. That that is not a, that is not a box in the sense of it is. I am six foot two. We had to to stuff you in there. With very broad shoulders. I would not fit in there. I would be breaking fitting in there. Yeah, I, I would, that's a, to me, you just described a coffin. Oh, that yeah. is a, for me, oh, they, they are, I, it, it was coffin, foot. it was coffin shaped. Yeah, that's, he good. literally made God. a coffin and called it the box. Um, so the person would be confined and held underground, so he would bury them alive while they coffin. were constantly berated and reprimanded for their perceived slights against the cult. Layton's affidavit also stated that Jonestown residents were being deliberately starved. 
there was rice for breakfast, rice water for soup, uh, rice water soup for lunch, and rice and beans for dinner. Oh, so they were in the army. Okay. Um. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about something that I would find at Fort Drum. Yeah. Yeah, I said Fort, it. Fort I Hood don't care. Or Fort Hood. Yeah. Actually, no, they probably ate better than they eat at Fort Hood. Um, yeah, that's true. Drum's food's not much better. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I said it. Fort, I don't care. I mean, Fort Hood makes prison look like a day camp. Yeah, that's um, Fort, wrong. Fort Hood is literally the hood of the army. But uh, if you guys need any help, blink twice to get out of Fort Hood. Um, yeah. <laughs> We will rescue groups are being formed as we speak. <laughs> On Sunday, we each received an egg and a cookie. Oh, not bad. That's it. I'm no. I'm, oh, oh, that's it. That's it. Oh Eggs and a cookie for Sunday. Two did or I, three. T- did they? Is, did they cook the egg? Probably not. It probably popped right out of the fucking chicken, chicken and they just ate it. Or are they talking Ugh. Cadbury egg? That's a different story. I mean, if it's a hard-boiled egg, I mean, it's kind of edible. I don't mind. I don't really. Like I, love eggs. Eggs. I love eggs. I love eggs. I love eggs. I like over medium. I literally like, be saying, like, all right, like, give me this egg. Let me turn it into a deviled egg. Yeah, or like make or a very small omelet. Like John John Jones, you love the devil already. So let me Jim Jones. Let me turn this into a deviled egg. Um, you know, I want deviled egg. Thanks. Now I'm gonna have to go out to. Wegmans and get get some double eggs. Um, two or three times a week, we had vegetables. Some very weak and elderly members received one egg per day. Jonestown stood on poor soil, so it was not self-sufficient and had to import large quantities of commodities such as wheat. However, Leighton noted that Jones did not rely on the same diet as his followers. Surprise. Instead, he consumed more substantial meals that frequently contained meat while claiming problems with his blood sugar. Now, was that I never it never I've read the same thing, but they never elaborated. Was it was he diabetic? Was he no, getting was he wasn't. High? He wasn't. It, it was his way of excusing why he was eating differently than everybody else. Yes, he, he yeah. did have some conditions. He I believe he had a heart condition was one of the things he had later on. Um, he had he had health concerns, um, but no, the this was he was eating meat while everybody else was eating rice and saying that he needed help with his blood sugar. Number one, you're not going to eat meat for your blood sugar. No, I was that, about to say that's I'm... your iron levels. Um, you are going to go ahead and eat those cookies if you have a blood sugar issue. There are things that are higher in sugar than meat um actually i believe uh rice and beans is has more sugar in it than uh meat does but this was his excuse um he also permitted a few chosen members of his inner circle to eat from his personal supplies and they appeared to be in much better health than the other residents which would probably be the ones that if all the the pictures and cameras and, and film of Jonestown, I, those would have probably been the ones you would have seen. Yeah. So you'll like this part. Jones was facing increasing scrutiny in the summer of 78 when he hired JFK assassination conspiracy theorists Mark Lane and Donald Freed to help make the case <laughs> of a grand conspiracy against the temple by U.S. intelligence agencies. Oh, wow. 
Wow. Two of the most famous people with JFK, Mark Lane and Donald Freed, um, which I believe they're both still alive, aren't they? I don't believe so. I could be. I they they, are, they I, died on they, that hill though. Oh yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, you want to hear some of the more out there conspiracies? Read them. Let's see. No, he Mark Lane died in 2016. Oh, okay. So yeah, I thought they. I I just swore they died very recently. Like they're like they. It wasn't a while ago. And Donald Freed is still alive. Oh, okay. Well, that he's ninety years old. Yeah. So he should die any second now. Um. Jones told Lane he wanted to pull an uh an Eldridge Cleaver referring to a fugitive member of the Black Panthers who was able to return to the U.S. after rebuilding his reputation. Um, yeah. No doubt learning that from his friend earlier on. Um, Jones attempted to negotiate for his commune to resettle in the Soviet Union. In October 1978, Fedor Timofeyev Probably Fyodor Timofeyev. Uh, Soviet consul to Guyana visited Jonestown for two days and gave a speech. Jim Jones stated beforehand, for many years, we have let our sympathies be quite publicly known that the United States government was not our mother, but that the Soviet Union was our spiritual motherland. Uh, he declared Jonestown in harmony of theory with Marx, Engels, Lenin, and the practical implement, implementation of some fundamental features of this theory, and personally thank Jim Jones. And promptly got the hell out of the Dodge. Yeah. Jones's paranoia increased as Jones in Jonestown as he became fearful of a government raid on the commune. Concerned the community would not be able to resist an attack, he began holding drills to test their readiness. He called the drills White Knights. Uh, Jones would call alert, alert, alert. Oh, he he had a loudspeaker put up in the community. Like on a giant pole, there was a loudspeaker, which is actually where most of the tapes come from. Um, he would call alert, alert, alert over the community loudspeaker to call the community together in the central pavilion. Armed guards with guns and crossbows surrounded the pavilion. The community members would remain at the pavilion throughout the drill in which Jones told them that their community had been surrounded by agents who were about to destroy them. Jones led them in prayers, chanting and singing to ward off the impending attack. Sometimes he would have his guards hide in the forest and shoot their far firearms to simulate an attack. Jones' terrified followers were only told they were participating in a drill when the event was over. One drill in September 77 lasted for six days. Known as the Six-Day Siege, this ordeal was used thereafter by Jones as a symbol of the community's indomitable spirits. Yeah, scaring the hell out of everybody for six days. Yeah. Yeah. Great team-building effort, guys. Great job. Uh, next up will be the fall, the trust fall. Um, so everybody pick a partner. Let's do the trust fall now that you guys have... Uh, survived a six day siege. Now we can do the trust fall. You guys are ready for that one. Um, 
The drill served to keep members of Jonestown fearful of venturing outside the commune. Following two visits by United States Embassy personnel to check on the situation of Jonestown and an IRS investigation in early 78, Jones became increasingly convinced that the attack he feared was imminent. Jesus, the IRS really can find you anywhere. Yeah, they can. <laughs> Granted, remember, remember, though, at this point, we are allies with British. Guyana just left the British colonies. So, because uh, this is, what, in 78? So, Guyana was its own, its own thing at nation. this point. Yeah. So, it probably was reported to them by Guyana or something there that they were there. Because Guyana wasn't a non-extradition country. Um, I think you're, no, you're right. It, yeah, um, and even then, and I, most believe, I believe that we are as allied as we can be with a place as small as Guyana. But I believe we've been allied with them since they left the uh, British control. Well, uh, again, as allied term. as we can be with yeah, a place that uh, small. I, I hate to I hate to use this term because I think it gives the wrong impression. They I don't want anybody to. Us. Well, no, it's not just that. We have good relations with Guyana, but Guyana and South America and Latin America, by an extension, does fall, does come under our sphere of influence. And again, yeah. I, for our listeners, I'm not, I don't try to. We are the dictatorship. Oh, bit. No, no. For our viewers out there, I don't say the United States controls everything. You countries are independent and choose your they, own they course. They come under but... our influence, though. In Not our control, that, our influence. They take our lead with a lot of stuff. In some cases, and I don't, I personally, I honest to God think the biggest interaction between the United States and, and Guyana has been this. Yeah. This is probably, I'm sure it's state, I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised at state functions between Guyana and the United States. Oh, you remember, you remember Jim Jones? <laughs> I wouldn't be I surprised. I was there. I was there. Um, so I was the one that reported but... it. Um, yeah. So in one 1978 white night drill, Jones told his followers he was going to distribute poison for everyone to drink in an act of suicide. A batch of fruit punch was served to everyone in the pavilion who sat by weeping and waiting for their death. After some time passed, Jones informed his followers that it was only a drill and there was no, not any poison in the drink. Fun fact. The big broad term of drink the Kool-Aid is directly from this. Um, yeah. When we say that, oh, he, he's he a little the out there, he's, he must be drinking the Kool-Aid. It's from here. Yeah. Um, and actually, I believe on Criminal Minds, they, di- they took a nod to this in an episode where a church they had poisoned, they were doing a bake sale and they had poisoned, or they were doing a cookout for the church and, uh, the pastor had poisoned the, the, um, uh, fruit punch. So it was I, actually, in I, I, minds. I, I think there's, I can't think of any show that hasn't somehow mocked, somehow mimic mocked this event. I, Jesus, I think even Family Guy did it. Oh, I'm sure. Through the White Knights, Jones convinced his followers that the CIA was actively working to destroy their community and condition them to accept suicide as a means of escape. For, I mean, I think 
most people know what the CIA is, but we do have listeners we have noticed that are outside of the United States um, that are, we have listeners in Africa and in the Middle East and stuff. CIA, of course, is central intelligence agencies. When you think James Bond, all of that, you're, well, obviously that is British that's, intelligence. That's, that's, Br- that's, but that's British intelligence. I'm, I'm trying to relate to people that CIA spies. That's where they are. Um, and also, to be fair, the CIA was very active in overthrowing overthrowing governments in yes. South America. So also, it's not like they weren't there. Also, uh, manufacturing and selling cocaine. But um, yeah, that too. Oh, I think they're knocking on my door. Um, uh, I f- yeah, better you than me. I always figured they get me first. So yeah. um, suckers. On at least two occasions during White Nights, after a revolutionary suicide vote was reached, a simulated mass suicide was rehearsed. Temple defector Deborah Layton described the event in an affidavit. Everyone, including the children, was told to line up. As we passed through the line, we were given a small, gla- small glass of red liquid to drink. We were told that the liquid contained poison and that we would die within 45 minutes. We all did as we were told. When the time came when we should have dropped dead, Reverend Jones explained that the poison was not real and that we had just been through a loyalty test. He warned us that the time was not far off when it would become necessary for us to die by our own hands. So I am going to commit a Dungeons and Magi loyalty test. Um, uh, I fail in, in the mail. I, I fail. In the mail, you will all be receiving some Kool Aid. I'm totally, I'm fail. totally gonna send you guys a bottle of Kool Aid. Just to first of all, I don't you. even like. First of all, I don't even <laughs> like Kool Aid. I've never liked Kool Aid. Um, the situation at Jonestown was deteriorating in '78. The community was exhausted and overworked. I feel that. Um, most were required to perform manual labor from early morning until evening. Loudspeakers were installed around Jonestown and sermons were played on a constant loop for the entire community to listen to. You guys will hear Jim Jones and you will hear why you don't want to hear him on a loop. Um, I would have shot myself at that point. No, I would have ran. I I just would have walked. I would have just walked into the jungle and just I literally, let whatever predator get me. I literally would have said, hey, do you have some of that juice for real? I will drink it right now because I cannot listen to your freaking hillbilly mouth any longer. Yeah. Um, if he had siblings, he probably would have slept with them. Anyways, um, and that, I'm, I'm not even joking about that. It would not surprise me. Um, and that's saying something because Caleb is a hillbilly. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yes, I'm, you not, are from, I'm not from Alabama. Eh. Al- Alabama is the only just... place they sleep with their family. That's true. Um, fun, fun joke. Uh, why uh, we are rated M for mature? So, um, why is it not? Why in Alabama? Why are they not allowed to do the reverse cowgirl? I don't know, Caleb. Why aren't they? Because it's frowned upon to turn your back from on family. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continuing on our, on our uh, program. Um, 
Jones began to propagate his belief in what he termed translation once his followers settled in Jonestown, claiming that he and his followers would all die and live blissfully together in the afterlife. Coming from an atheist. Yeah. Um, at this point, he was very much an atheist and was pushing atheism. Um, meals were meager and workers were often hungry. After spending all day working, the community gathered each evening at the Central Pavilion to listen to Jones preach. His sermons generally lasted for several hours. Oh, are we sure he's not Catholic? Okay, first of all, I have yet to meet a, I have yet to meet a priest whose sermon or whose homily did, lasted more than fifteen minutes. There's just that's, <laughs> dude. The long ass sermons. That's that, that that's a Southern Baptist thing. Straight up, it, dude. The Southern Catholic churches are that way too. I was at a uh, well, fu- I, dude. I was at a funeral, a Catholic funeral, where he pr- he preached during the funeral, and yeah. it was an hour and a half long at the funeral. F- funerals are different. If we're talking about just regular Sunday service, fifteen twenty max. I that's I it. Also, they want to get out of there too. I also didn't have to work out that day either because the standing and kneeling, I, I did so much of it. I felt like, yes, I was in you a, will felt like I was in a Pilates class. Yes. Yes. Not only your, your soul will be saved and I, your body tone. I had to, I had to remember to bring knee pads next time. Why um, do you think there aren't that many old Catholics because, or actually, why do you think there are good old Catholics? Because they're just, we keep them in. Cause shape. they made a deal with the devil. Um, <laughs> funny. So, uh, his sermons generally lasted for several hours. Most of the community was sleep deprived. According to Terry Buford O'Shea, one of the few escapees from Jonestown, sleep deprivation was one of the most effective methods of controlling Jones's followers. O'Shea yeah. said, One time Jim said to me, Let's keep them poor and tired because if they're too poor, if they're poor, they can't escape. And if they're tired, they can't make plans. You're telling me this man had no affiliations with the CIA and MK ultra. Uh, that phrasing right I was, there. I was thinking more along the lines of the U S military because that's, well, that sounds like the uh, military. But again, but, but again, CIA military there. This is the American government. This is, this is, but this, that speech right there from my military training, we both have the same military training. That is what we would do. That is what we would do to POWs and basic trainees. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's true. It's true. POWs, basic trainees. (laughs) They're the same thing. Drill sergeant, uh, sergeant, don't, don't, don't yell at me. Uh, I'm, still I'm still traumatized by basic training. My my TIs are retired now, so uh, I live in, I live in fear of mine. The majority of the community members were minors or the elderly, and the fewer people of working age found it difficult to keep up with the workload required to support the community. Healthcare, education, and food rations were all in limited supply, and the situation was worsening. Jones's orders were increasingly erratic. He was seen staggering and urinating in public, but this was due to prostatus. For a short time, towards the end of Jonestown in late October 1978, 
not the entirety of Jonestown. So prostatus, he had an issue with, of course, his prostate. Um, this would have been the onset to getting probably would not surprise me if towards the end he did get prostate cancer. Um, and there's a horrible way to go. Well, and this, to be honest, would have been from, uh, it could have been hereditary. A lot of prostate cancer is, but prostate cancer is also one that usually if you have it, you die. Um, but it, he did a lot of opioids and alcohol and stuff like that. So that did not help either. Um, but with anything with the prostate, you do urinate a lot. Um, so he found it difficult to walk without assistance around this time, but it, it cleared, but it cleared up by Leo Ryan's visit. After learning that he might have a lung infection in 78, he told his followers he actually had lung cancer in an effort to gain their compassion and increase their level of support. He didn't have lung cancer. He just had an infection. Very he basically had bronchitis. Very interesting that he that he felt the need to lie about something just to gain support. He probably I mean, he also was pretty paranoid, so he might oh, yeah. have he might have thought that they were all conspiring against him when probably in reality in reality, I think at this point, these these people were so far down the rabbit hole in terms of controlling, he probably could have had them march off into the Caribbean Sea at this point. Oh, yeah. and they probably would have done it. Um, Jones was said to be abusing Valium, Quaaludes, stimulants, and barbiturates all at the same time. Good Lord. Uh, audio recordings of meetings held in Jonestown in 78 attest to the commune leader's deteriorating health. He complained of high blood pressure that he had since the early 50s, small strokes, weight loss of 30 to 40 pounds in the last two weeks of Jonestown, temporary blindness, convulsions in late October to early November 1978, while he was ill in his cabin, grotesque swelling of his extremities. If only he knew a healer. I know. Um... It's amazing <laughs> how he could he could cure everybody else but, but not himself. himself. In November, but why would he even get sick if he is Jesus reincarnated? I was about to say just that. Um, Honestly, just call me crazy. You have more medical knowledge than me. This sounds like a tumor. Like he, like he had a tumor somewhere because obviously he's just obviously just an erratic narcissistic mess but he seems to go fairly downhill fairly so, rapidly i don't think it's a tumor i think what it is is you have to remember he's up there he's older in age now uh, um his his immune system isn't going to be as strong they have now moved to guiana into a place that they're not used to they are living off of the land they are planting their own stuff. Did they have pesticides? Probably not. Which mm -hmm. means that whatever bugs were in Guiana are infecting their crops. He probably gained probably bits of Lyme disease and stuff like that. So, which can affect your mind after exactly. a while. Let them treat him. So, which 
can also give you temporary Lyme disease can give you temporary blindness and convulsions and things like that. So I think he was just getting diseases um, and just, and he's, just he's getting treatment for him and he's older. So he can't, he can't fight it off. Um, in November of 78, Congressman Ryan led a fact finding mission to Jonestown to investigate allegations of human right abuses his delegation included relatives of Temple members and NBC camera crew and reporters for several newspapers. Group arrived in Guyanese capital of Georgetown for or on November 15th. Two days later, they traveled by airplane to Port Kituma, uh, where they were then transported to Jonestown, held a reception for them. Um, a Temple member, Vernon Gosney, passed a note meant for... Ryan to the reporter Don Harris requesting assistance for himself and another temple member, Monica Bagby, and leaving the settlement. Tensions began to rise as news spread through the community that some members were attempting to leave. Uh, Ryan's delegation left hurriedly the afternoon of November 18th after Ryan narrowly avoided being stabbed by temple member Don Sly. Ryan and his delegation managed to take along 15 members who expressed the desire to leave, and Jones at that time made no attempt to for to prevent their departure um his wife marceline jones announced on the public address system that everything was fine and urged locals to go back to their houses as ryan left aides prepared a large metal tub with grape flavor aid poisoned with um uh diphenhydramine uh promethazine chlorpromazine uh, chloroquine, funny enough, chloroquine is one of the things that has been treating COVID. Um, uh, chlorohydrate, diazepam, and cyanide. So that's definitely not being treated, used okay. to treat COVID. Yeah, no. So you see, uh, chlorpromazine, we know about that from the last episode, um, where that is a tranquilizer. Uh, that is what what was used um, in the last episode, but yeah, all all of these uh, are cyanide. Outside of it, it would still kill everybody. Um, as a member of Ryan's delegation, boarded two planes at Port Kaituma Airst- uh, Airstrip, Jonestown Red Brigade of Armed Guards arrived and began shooting at them. The gunman killed Ryan and four others near a Guyana Airways Twin Otter aircraft. At the same time, one of the supposed defectors, Larry Layton, drew a weapon and began firing on members of the party inside the other plane, a Cessna, which included Gosney and Bagby. NBC cameraman Bob Brown was able to capture footage of the first few seconds of the shooting at the Otter just before he himself was killed by the gunman. The five killed at the airstrip were Ryan Harris Brown... San Francisco Examiner photographer Greg Robinson and a Temple member Patricia Parks. Surviving the attack were future Congresswoman Jackie Spire, um, who went on to have a long stint in Congress, uh, a Ryan staff member Richard Dwyer, Deputy Chief of Mission from the U.S. Embassy in Georgetown Bob Flick, an NBC producer Steve Sung, an NBC sound engineer Tim Reiterman, an Examiner reporter Ron Javier's, a Chronicle reporter, Charles Krauss, a Washington Post reporter, and several defecting Temple members. They escaped into the, into the jungle to avoid being killed. 
Uh, later that day, Jones received word that a security guards failed to kill all of Ryan's party. He concluded the escapees would soon inform the U.S. of the attack and they would send military to seize Jonestown. Jones called the entire community to the Central Pavilion. He informed the community that Ryan was dead and it was only a matter of time before military commandos descended on their commune and killed them all. Military commandos. They're just going to drop up out of nowhere. Um, Jones told Temple members that the Soviet Union would not give them passage after the airship shooting. Jones said, we can check with Russia to see if they'll take us in immediately. Otherwise, we die. Asking, you think Russia's going to want us with all the stigma? No. They don't want you to yeah, begin with. No. Uh, with that I reason, mean, honestly. Go ahead. Honestly, they probably. He probably, in hindsight, he, he probably should have just tried to go to the Soviet Union in the first place place i mean forget south america i mean they would have taken him if he would have gone there first i mean and then if we would have tried to go there that's an act of war exactly it it you go to an independent country that is probably going to help us because we're bigger and scarier yeah i Uh, mean it seems like he he keeps trying to copy or one up that uh his the guy that he Bremen, the the guy that he worked with. I mean, he went to South America. Jones goes to South America. He predicts a nuclear apocalypse. Jones predicts a nuclear apocalypse. He's a one up. Seems like he's he, yeah. He just keeps he keeps trying to one up this one guy, and now, it's like yeah. Um. With that reasoning, Jones and several members argued the group should commit revolutionary suicide. Jones recorded the entire death ritual on audio tape, which we will play at the end. Uh, it is 45 minutes long. We are going to play five or so minutes of it. You can see the entire 45 minutes on YouTube. Just type in Jim Jones death tape. You'll find it. Um, it is disturbing. Uh, Just to let everyone know, I know we're a mature content, but it is disturbing. Yeah, it's disturbing. One Temple member, Christine Miller, uh, dissented toward the beginning of the tape. Cries and screams of children and adults were also easily heard on the tape recording made. The Temple had received monthly half-pound shipments of cyanide since 76 after Jones obtained a jeweler's license to buy the chemical, uh, preferably to clean gold. And in May 1978, a Temple doctor wrote a memo to Jones, memo to Jones asking permission to test cyanide on Jonestown's pigs, as their metabolism was close to that of human beings. A drink mixture of flavor aid uh, and cyanide was handed out to the members of the community to drink. Those who refused the drink were injected with cyanide via syringe. Um, the crowd was also surrounded by armed guards offering members the basic dilemma of death by poison or death by a guard's hand. Preferably I'd take death by a guard's hand cause it's going to be quicker. Um, Rouletta Paul and her one year old child were the first to consume the poison. According to escape temple member Odell Rhodes, the child's mouth was filled with the poison using a syringe without a needle. And Paul then injected more poison into her own mouth. According to Rhodes, after ingesting the poison, people were taken down a wooden walkway that led outside the pavilion. As parents watched their children perish from the poison, 
Rhodes described a scene of panic and confusion. He added that many, many of the assembled temple members walked around like they were in a trance and that the majority quietly waited their own turn to die. Over time, as more temple members perished, the guard themselves were called in to die by poison. It's not clear if some initially thought the exercise was another white knight rehearsal. When members wept and showed signs of dissent, Jones counseled, stop these heretics, uh, stop these hysterics. This is not the way for people who are socialists or communists to die. No way for us to die. We must die with some dignity. Jones can be heard saying, don't be afraid to die, adding that death is just stepping over into another plane and adding that death is a friend. Jones directed that the children be killed first. His wife, Marcelin, apparently protested against killing the children. She was forcibly restrained and then joined the other adults in poisoning herself after the children had died. At the end of the tape, John uh, Jones concludes, We don't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide, protesting the conditions of an inhumane world. In the early evening of November 18th, Temple member Sharon Amos in Georgetown received a radio message from Jonestown telling the members there to exact vengeance on the temple's foes before committing revolutionary suicide. Later, after police arrived at the headquarters, Sharon escorted her children, uh, Leanne, Krista, and Martin into a bathroom. Wielding a kitchen knife, Sharon first killed Krista, then Martin, then Leanne, assisted Sharon in cutting her own throat, after which Leanne killed herself. This is the brutality of mind control. Um, yes. 85 members of the community survived the event. Some slipped into the jungle just as the death ritual began. One man hid in a ditch. One elderly woman hid in her dormitory and slept through the events, awakening just, to find everyone dead. Did... Uh, so wait a minute. She just hid and decided to take a nap, or was she taking a nap and just I happened think, to wake up? I think she just she was sleeping. I I don't think she knew what was going on. Jesus, I've heard of some heavy sleepers, but that's <laughs> that one takes the cake. Yeah. Sorry to laugh at a and horrible then, situation, and then but waking still, up and everybody's dead. Um, okay. Three high-ranking temple. Will, Survivors claim they were given an assignment and thereby escaped death. The Jonestown basketball team was away at a game and survived. Yes, they had their own basketball team. Uh, of course they did. Um, others hid in dormitories or were away from the community on business when the death ritual unfolded. Survivor Tim Carter has suggested that, like a previous practice, uh, that day's lunch of grilled cheese sandwiches may have been tainted with sedatives to subdue members of the cult. Uh, that should have been their their first cue is they got grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah, Instead I mean, they always, feed, they always feed you well before they kill you. Yeah. Furthermore, in a 2007 interview with forensic psychiatrist Dr. Michael H. Stone for their program Most Evil, uh, go watch that. It is a very good one. Um... Carter stated that his belief that Jones had his guards pose the dead bodies of the Jonestown residents to make it appear that more people had willingly committed suicide because he knew there was going to be news coverage. So he wanted to show that it wasn't killing, that it was suicide. 
the mass murder-suicide resulted in the death of 909 inhabitants of Jonestown. 276 of them were children, mostly in and around the Central Pavilion. This resulted in the greatest single loss of American civilian life in a deliberate act until September 11, 2001. Another four members residing in Georgetown died. The FBI later recovered the 45-minute audio recording of the mass poisoning in progress, and the recording became known as the death tape. Jones' three sons, uh, Stephen, Jim Jr., and Tim Jones, were with People's Temple basketball team in Georgetown at the time of the poisoning. During the events at Jonestown, the three brothers drove to the U.S. Embassy in Georgetown to alert the authorities. Guyanese soldiers guarding the embassy refused to let them in after hearing about the shootings at Port Katuma Airstrip. Later, the three returned to the temple's headquarters in Georgetown to find the bodies of Sharon Amos and her three children, uh, Leanne, Krista, and Martin. The Guyanese military arrived in Jonestown to find the dead. The United States military organized an airlift to bring the remains back to the U.S. to be buried. Jones was found dead on the stage of the Central Pavilion. He was resting on a pillow near his deck chair with a gunshot wound to his head. Jones's body was later moved for examination and embalming. The official autopsy conducted by Guyanese coroner uh, Cyril Mutu uh, in December 78 confirmed Jones's cause of death as suicide. His son, Stefan, speculated that his father may have directed someone else to shoot him. The autopsy showed high levels of barbiturate uh, pentobarbital in Jones's body, which may have been lethal to humans who had not developed a psychological tolerance. Jones's body was cremated and his remains were scattered in the Atlantic Ocean. Guyanese soldiers kept the Jones, Jones brothers under house arrest for five days, interrogating them about the deaths in Georgetown. Uh, Stefan was accused of involvement in the deaths and placed in Guyanese prison for three months. Tim and Johnny Cobb, other members of the Temple basketball team, were taken to Jonestown to identify bodies. After returning to the U.S., Jim Jones Jr. was placed under police surveillance for several months, where he lived with his older sister, Suzanne, who had previously turned against the Temple. Members of the Jones family included his wife, four children and their spouses and five grandchildren died in Jonestown. John Victor Stowen died in Jonestown. His body was found just outside of Jones's house and a sign note found at the time of her death. Marceline directed that Jones's assets be given to the communist party of the Soviet union. The people's temple secretary had already made arrangements for $7.3 million, which in 2020, the writing of this article is 29 million transferred to the Soviet embassy in Guyana. Buy a lot of caviar and vodka with that. Yeah. Most of the money was held in foreign bank accounts and was transferred electronically, but 680,000 equivalent to 2.9 million was held in cash. And three couriers were hired to transport the cash to the Soviets. Couriers were arrested before reaching their destination and claimed to have hidden most of the money. That is the end of Jonestown. Uh, one other sort of interesting survivor of Jonestown. I, I remember reading about this. Um, uh, Huey Long. What was it? No, Huey Huey Newton's cousin. 
Huey Newton's cousin, like you said, he had a, some of Huey, uh, some of Newton's family was in Jonestown. Um, specifically, his cousin at this point was working in the kitchens. So most, a lot of what also was described of the mass suicide. I use that euphemism there because it was in large part a suicide. I guess the way I've read it was one part suicide, one part murder, one part they just, they thought, many people thought this was drill. Many people, some of the survivors who there speculate that the first woman that took the poison thought this was a drill and then when the poison wasn't a fast acting one and everybody started convulsing and dying because remember it was suicide it was cyanide in this cyanide doesn't especially when it's mixed with everything it doesn't kill you very fast and cyanide is not a cyanide is also not a very clean death you do not just take cyanide and go to sleep you convulse you foam at the mouth so at that point when the first group starts dying this is where Jones also had his that's why also Jones kept his most avid and fanatical followers had the weapons and had the guns because yeah. then they started forcing everybody and one of the cases of um, Newton's cousin actually worked in the kitchens of Jonestown and actually saw what was going on and saw the chaos and everyone basically dying and being killed. Um, was able to actually one of the groups who of the 85 who were able to sneak out he snuck out through the kitchens and actually ran into the jungle and later met up when the uh the Guyanese military came to kind of see what was going on um yeah so um yeah so that was the people's temple that was Jonestown that was Jim Jones um very tragic event and of course the biggest uh act on american civilians uh up until 9-11 of course um but we are going to end this with a clip from the uh death tape so we want to thank everybody for joining us for part two um we really appreciate your support and please let us know if there is something else you want to see you can email us dungeonsandmagi.com or dungeonsandmagi at gmail.com um and or reach out to us on social media and we will add stuff to our list um but with that thank you for visiting scarlet tavern remember to turn in your glasses push in your seat, and always tip the bard. And with that, we leave it in the words of Jim Jones. Must be insane. It's just something to put to the rest. Oh, God. Mother, 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 please. Mother, please, 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 don't, don't do this, don't do this. Get down your life with your child, but don't do this.
never been done before, you say. It's been done by every tribe in history, every tribe facing annihilation. All the Indians of the Amazon are doing it right now. They refuse to bring any babies into the world. They kill every child that comes into the world because they don't want to live in this kind of a world. So be patient, be patient. Death is, I tell you, I don't care how many screams you hear, I don't care how many anguished cries, death is a million times preferable to 10 more days of this life. If you knew what was ahead of you, if you knew what was ahead of you, you'd be glad to be stepping over tonight. Death, death, death is common to people. In the Eskimos, they take death in their stride. Let's be dignified, let's be dignified. If you quit telling them they're dying, you, if you adults would stop some of this nonsense, adults, 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 I call on you to stop this nonsense. I call on you to quit exciting your children when all they're doing is going to quiet rest. I call on you to stop this now, if you have any respect at all. Are we black, proud, and socialist, or what are we? Now stop this nonsense. Don't carry this on anymore. You're exciting your children. All over, and it's good. No, no sorrow that it's all over. I'm glad it's over. Hurry, hurry, my children, hurry. All I say, that's not fall into the hands of the enemy. Hurry, my children. Hurry. The seniors out here that I'm concerned about, hurry. I don't want to leave my seniors to this mess. Quickly, 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 quickly. Sisters, good knowing you. No more pain, Al. No more pain, I said, Al. No more pain. Jim Cobb is laying on the airfield dead at this moment. Remember the, the, the uh, Oliver woman said she she come over and kill me if her sons wouldn't stop her. These these are the people the peddlers of hate. All we're doing is laying down our life. We're not letting them take our life. We're laying down our life. We're taking their lives. We just want peace. All I'd like to say is that my um, my so-called parents are filled with so much hate. And treachery. I think you, you people out here should think about how your relatives was and be glad about that the children are being laid to rest. And all I like to say is I thank Dad for making me strong to stand with it all and make me ready for it. Thank you. Okay, them, all the children taking a drink to take to go to sleep. That's what death is, sleep. Whatever, I'm tired of it all. Loving thing he could have ever done, the most loving thing all of us could have done. And it's been a pleasure walking with all of you in this revolutionary struggle. No other way I would rather go and give my life for socialism, communism. And I thank Dad very, very much. 
much that uh, Dad's love of mercy and goodness and kindness and bringing us to this land of freedom. His love, his mother was the advance, the advance guard to socialism. And his love and his mercy should go on forever, on for the fields. Where's the vat, the vat, the vat? Where's the vat with the green seeds? Eh? Go on forever until the fields. And thank you, Dad. The vat with the green sea in, please. Right here, so the adults can begin. Big you don't, don't fail to follow my advice. You'll be sorry. You'll be sorry. But we.